and welcome to this fast episode of the Women's Rugby League Podcast. Just wanted to get something out there as it's semi-final time in both the Grand Final of the Women's Super League and the Journey to the Shield Final. So, before we start, we'll recap last weekend's scores. So, we had St Helens versus Wigan and it ended 52-0 to St Helens. On a massive roll at the moment, the Saints. Then we had York versus Castleford, and that finished 28 14 to Castleford. In the lower leagues, to round things up, we had the League One Grand Final, which finished 28 16, and it was Hull KR beating Dewsbury Mall Ladies. To clinch that and promotion. Then we had Lee Miners Ladies winning 10 2 at Stanley to clinch league leaders in the championship. So they go to the playoffs now. So yeah, St Helens have done a double now Challenge Cup, League Leaders, Lee Miners, the League One League Leaders. And Hull KR have won the Championship League leaders and Hull KR have won League One, the Grand Final. So, this weekend, tomorrow, Women's Rugby League, two matches on Sky Sports. Starts starts off with St Helens versus Castleford at one fifteen, And it continues later on that day with Leeds versus York at 3.30. Both matches are at Totally Wicked Stadium. I believe there's enough from for about £10 for both matches. Fantastic. Um, we also have Huddersfield versus Warrington at 3pm. That's in the Shield semi-final. And then we have Featherstone versus Bradford at 2pm, which will be Andrew Dobson's last ever match at Post Office Road. As she's looking... To end 13 years there, uh, a collar down an illustrious career. Um, grand final, 10th of October, heading the stadium. The Shield final kicks off at 12 pm, the grand final kicks off at 3 pm. Adult tickets are £10, under 16s are a fiver. They're available via the RFL website, so get them bought. Get them booked and have a look. So we are looking for guests in the lead-up. We're going to try and go live as much as we can. So here's a bit of Women's Rugby League podcast gold. Here's an interview with Lee's Rhinos, Amy Stavely. Hi, my name's Amy Stavely. I play second row for Leeds Rhinos Women and I'm sponsored by Countrywide Fans of Leeds Rhinos Women. How did you first get into Rugby League? So when I was at high school, my friend played at Stanley and she just asked me if I wanted to come down um, for a training session. And I went down and, and just started training. And at first it was most the social aspect, just going down, making new friends, um, having a bit of a laugh. And then I didn't particularly like it, if I'm honest. I didn't really like you know, being tackled or tackling. And then the older I got, the more serious I got with it and and that's when I started to really um you know put myself forward and push myself a bit more I just wanted to be the best I could be so that's that's where it all started yeah well you, you you've obviously got that once you get past the fear of being hurt in a tackle you're all right yeah you are but to me it was just like oh you know especially when you when I'm were a teenager as well and I was just like oh you know I don't really want to do this, but I kind of stuck at it a little bit just because I'm, I'm not a quitter, so I just wanted to stick at it. And then I started to get really into my rugby and wanted to, to go places and just wanted to improve. And then as soon as I started enjoying it, I think that's when I stepped up that level and, and started to get better. Yeah. So how long were you at Stanley for? Uh, so I was at Stanley but when I was about 11 or 12, and then I was there, I think, till 2000 and 
12. So I was there about, it's about 10 years. I think it was 10 years. And then I just outgrew it a little bit. I just wanted to push myself further. I didn't really feel like there was anything more I could learn there. And I wanted to try and see if I could push myself to that next level. Um, which is why I went to Bradford. And obviously Rhiannon was there. Me and Rhiannon are really good friends. So she'd gone the year before and she said, oh, you know, you should come and, and train with us and see if you like it. So I just, the year after, just followed Rhiannon to, to Bradford, which was Clayton Thunderbirds then. How was your time at Bradford? Yeah, I really enjoyed it, actually. Obviously, when I first went there, I was a little bit iffy. I thought, oh, gosh, I don't... You know, not used to this kind of training, not used to these kind of games. And actually, as first game that I played for him, we played uh, an Ellens, which was Thato Heath back then. And I actually asked somebody if I could borrow a, um, what's it called, a scrum cap. Because I thought I were absolutely going to get smashed all over. So I asked for a scrum cap, but I didn't need it. And I took it off halfway through the game and I thought, oh, actually, it ain't as bad. But I think it's just because it's cleaner in Super yeah. League in a way. I think it's a lot cleaner, um, you know, the tackles and so I really enjoyed it and then first year I was there, um, I got the, the Forward of the Year award, which I never expected or amazed at actually. Um and then I've we're building up from there, went to Bradford Bulls, um and then as training intensified and um, obviously, the last year I was there, 2017, I believe, we won the, the treble, yeah. So, that's an amazing achievement for any team. So, you've all gone there, you've put your work in. And kind of like Bradford's entire crowning moment was the treble. It was probably the moment that most people originally took notice of women's rugby league. So, how was it to win that? Amazing, to be honest. I think I was still a bit like, still in the, you know, we just, just playing the games. I were happy just to play the games and, and obviously be in the squad. And to me, I didn't realise, if I'm honest, that we'd won the treble right until the end, till we were playing the final against Beveston. And it was before then. I thought, oh gosh, yeah, no, if we win this, that's it. We've like, we've cleaned up. Um, so that, that's where. Yeah, just to, it was amazing. It's something that I'll never ever forget. Got a, a lot of those with rugby, but it was really special memories, and I won't ever forget uh, the treble in two thousand and seventeen. So moving on from Bradford, you went on to get more silverware. How did the move to Leeds come about? Um, so I think probably towards the last uh, bit of two thousand and seventeen, the last bit of the season. Um, I kind of knew Lois was going over to Rise because obviously she worked for the Rhinos anyway in the foundation and I'd heard talks of, of a new team setting up so I just approached Lois and just asked her what I'd need to do to if it were trials, anything like that so it was trials and obviously anybody that showed an interest got to go and do the trials and um, I went um, and then got all back um, and I wasn't sure, to be honest with you, if, if I would even get in. Because I already had a kind of thought of another team lined up if I didn't get in. But I think with playing with Lois at Bradford, she knew how I played. She knew I grafted. So, um, And that's yeah. it. Is anyone that knows women's rugby? Yeah. <laughs> Lois. <laughs> so, yeah, then went to trials and got a call back. And, and then I was in... In the squad, obviously, I think I think there was about 21, 22 people at the time. There was only a limited select few. There weren't many people in at all. I think it was only about 21, 22 people that had been called back for the squad. How's it been, at least, so far? Um, it's been amazing, to be honest. Um, when we did first start and we started training, and obviously we didn't really have... Um, many much to compare ourselves against before the season started we were just you know constantly training training hard um and then 
if I'm honest, before we went into our first game, so we had obviously Castleford as a friendly, our first ever friendly on his first season, and they beat us. Um, so we knew we had a bit of work to do, we knew what we had to do, and then when we were going into our first game of the actual season, which was against Bradford, I remember just, oh my God, like, with the, like our team, biggest bunch of misfits ever. Well, that's what I thought, and I just thought, oh gosh, you know, I really don't know how this season's going to gonna pan out and obviously we've been working hard but we've not realised just how hard we've been working because to us that was just the norm now and then obviously we went into his first game against Bradford I remember turning to Rhiannon at half time I think we were up only by a bit but I said oh I said I wasn't expecting this were you and she's like oh shut up don't jinxes so I think at that point that's when I realised that we were something really special and even though to me we were a big bunch of misfits we were a really special team and everything that we stood for um you know we wore the badge but it was what was inside and at least it's it's all about team first and you're all about each other and there's no i don't know like there's obviously you're, you're competing for your shirts but not like that i think the They've got such a good, you know, stable core and the support you get, the, you know, the facilities you get and just everything really. So it's been amazing for me at least. I haven't got one bad thing to say about it. Absolutely everything's been great. That's it, like, do first season goes really well. Looks like it's going to be... A, a second triple winning season on the trot for you. Wigan turn up and have the game of their, their absolute best performance that season and take it, you go away, you have to learn again, you come back, you go, right, we want it, we want everything. Mm. So, over two seasons, two Challenge Cups, League Leeds and the Grand Final win for a team as old as that, <laughs> two seasons old, that is, that is some going on. Like, it's raised the profile as well. Yeah, yeah. How have you found media? Because, like, I just said off air, you've you've been in all three Super League Grand Finals so far, which you didn't realise. So, how have you found media changing over the years? Um, dramatically, for one, I'd put put that word forward. I think even from when we did the treble at Bradford Bulls, there was still that little bit of media. Um. And then we got to go to, I think it was Bradford Town Hall and the mayor, you know, present us back, give us his trophies. So that were really nice to do. But then obviously as soon as I switched over to the Rhinos, it just started getting bigger and bigger. I think people started sitting up and taking women's rugby more seriously. And we seem to have, you know, a lot more fans, not just the Rhinos, but fans across, you know, all the Super League teams now. Um, more more fans for, the, for everybody and I think they're starting to take it seriously and starting to um, you know enjoy it and putting it out there and so I think it's dramatically but you know for the better and rightly so it deserves every bit of media it's getting 100% it's worth it that's for me it's like the more it gets the better the more people see it the more people want it the more people want it the more they'll get of it yeah. So this is the end for this segment. Thank you for coming on. Is there any shout outs you want to give before you go? Yeah, just want to give a shout out to my sponsor, Unshakable Salt, to obviously the Leeds Rhinos, all the girls, and to Kirsty for putting me forward um, for this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, and we'll be hearing from you very, very soon. Here's some more Women's Rugby League podcast gold with. Andrea Dobson, who's playing her last game at Post Office Road tomorrow after 13 years there. Hope you enjoy this bit. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Women's Rugby League podcast. I'm joined by Andrea Dodson. Hiya. So, who are you sponsored by? Um, Dave Farrer at the Legends Bar. He sponsors me. It's obviously, the Legends Bar at Featherstone. How long has he sponsored you for? Oh, uh, he won't know either. Um, 
or quite a few years, as, as long as I can remember, actually. I've needed any money. Dave's sponsored me. No, to be fair, he's been really good. He, um, yeah, I think I, I go to him and say, Dave, and he's like, how much do you want? So, like, every season it's gone up and he's like, that's fine, that's fine. But he's um, he's always been really supportive of the women's team in general, to be fair. He's always he's always tipped in. And when we have when we have fundraising events and stuff, he's, he's just like, right. Do you want a horse, Dave? And he's like, just tell me how much. But yeah, <laughs> and, uh, he's, a good, he's a really good guy, yeah. And he gets the pleasure of looking at your picture every day. I know, yeah. But I, I did have one small beef, that it was next to the toilet. The men's toilet, actually. But um, there was only one spot there, so I'll, I'll take it. So let's start at the beginning. Where did rugby start for you? Um, well, it's a long time ago now. Um, I think, do you know, I listened to your, your podcast with Rudy yesterday and very, very similar to her, really. I was always one of the players at school, at, like pupils at school who just did every sport, got on with the PE teachers, you know, just played every sport I could. And there was um, a local youth worker in the area called Steve Swan. Now, he's actually, he owns the Aysgarth Hotel, is it? Do you know the hotel that sponsors a lot of players and has involvement at Castleford Tigers. Yeah, yeah. Well, Steve um, was my first rugby coach, so he came into school, did a commun- um, a session, and I, just, I enjoyed it from there. And, you know, the, the times before GDPR, took all our names and numbers and home telephone numbers. Um, and when I got home that night, he'd already run me mum and just said, you know, did I want to come down rugby training because he was setting up a girls team? And initially, I was just like, oh, no, I, I played it, but I'm all right. And my mum were like, well, I've told him you're going now, so your dad's going to set you. So Yeah, it's, it's too, it's too late. He's not up to you anymore. Yeah, going. so um, my dad took me and that was that. I met, met a couple of my best mates and that literally never looked back. So, yeah, started doing that. So, how long were you at that team for? Um, so, that was Pendle Panthers. So, originally I'm from the right side of the Pennines. I'm not originally from Yorkshire. Lancashire born and bred. Um, that was Pendle Panthers, so I started with them when I was 12. And I went all the way up to, I think I did four seasons there, so they, they really struggled to get a women's side. So we had girls up to under-16s, and then we, we tried merging with um, another team, but it didn't really work, so um, I stayed there till I, I, till I basically played open age, really. I did a season at 15-year-old playing open age when I wasn't allowed to, but I just played under another name. Um, but yeah, then I moved, I moved on to Hillside in Rochdale, Hillside Hawks, and then just, just played open age there from 16. So how was your jump to open age? Obviously you said you started a bit bit earlier than was expected. <laughs> um, it didn't bother me. I just, I'm probably, anybody you speak to, I'm just probably the most competitive person in the world. So I just I just saw it as a challenge. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to get playing open age, to be honest. And I've never been like, the biggest, biggest player, but I'm never one of the smallest, and I was always quite physical. So I just and do you know what the the women's game then isn't what it is now. So yeah. the the jump for me wasn't wasn't that big at the time. I, I was playing like I was playing like Lancashire under 16s, and I played for the women's team in the same year as well for that for Lancashire. So yeah, I, I just I it was more of a challenge for me to play open air. So yeah, I spent a season doing that, and I really enjoyed it. So, you've done Lancashire, you're still young. What age was you when you first got selected for England? Um, well, I was 16, well at the time it was still Great Britain. Um, so we were playing, I can't remember who we were playing now, but we were playing at Cass Panthers, a game, a Lancashire game. Um, and Jackie Sheldon, who was a coach at the time, was watching and just asked if afterwards if I just wanted to come and train with the squad. And, you know, there was a World Cup at the end of the year and um, would I come along? So, obviously delighted and went so yeah I spent the summer training with them um, and got number 23 of a 24 squad at 16 to go to New Zealand um, first time I've flown as well um, that that must have been like a yeah. bit of a bit of a dream you, you go to play open edge you suddenly in Lancashire team then you're in the Great Britain squad then you go going to the other side of the world to play yeah I think it's all a bit uh, it was all a bit surreal, and I don't think 
when you're young, I don't think you understand the magnitude of it. So, at the time, um, well, I remember I remember watching Great Britain play Australia at Dewsbury, um, and I think I was 13. And um, one of my best mates now, who I went and played at Hillside with, Hannah Robb, she was the ball girl for that game. And I remember seeing her and chatting to her, and she just said to me, oh, that'll be you one day. And I kind of laughed it off and like, oh, yeah, all right then. And then, you know, three years later, I was selected. But it is kind of surreal. I don't think, I think at the time, you just for me at that age, I just wanted to be the best I could be and just be competitive. So if the next step for me was that, then that's what I wanted to do. I think, you know, the, as you get older and things in your life change, you play for different reasons. But at that age, you just want to be the best and play the best. Um, and I was lucky enough to go along with one of my teammates from Pendle Panthers as well, because um, I still played for them at the time, uh, Sarah Dixon, and so I was lucky that I had I had someone to go along with um, to do that. How did you find it then? How was, how was the whole experience of being there? Um, again, quite a surreal one. It's, you know, these lasses who go on tour now with England, they don't, they don't know they're born. Like, we went... I remember we had to pay £1,600 to go um, or raise it. Um, and I was lucky enough that my parents, you know, paid for it, mate, paid for me at the time to pay him back, man. But um, they paid for it for me. And again, because it was, it was got through Wall and not the RFL. So we went with one tracksuit each for three weeks. You had to provide all your own training kit and your own gear. And. Um, yeah, it was a pretty surreal thing for me. I think I wanted to play in thing, but there was a lot of older, more experienced players as well. So I kind of just kept myself to myself a little bit, and I relished the opportunity. I played. I didn't play in the first game. I played the second game against the Cook Islands, and I, I just remember thinking, like Christ, they're big, aren't they? Sort of thing, and just, just getting stuck in. And then I played against Newey, and then I. Um, I didn't start any of them. I don't. I don't think I did. Um, I, like I said, I didn't get picked for the first game, and then I got picked for the bench against New Zealand Maori. And at that time, that was just New Zealand's B team, so they were just as big and just as strong. And like I remember, I won't tell you who, but I remember just. I remember just going on, and um, within two minutes, two penalties against me, just rabbit in the headlights, got a got a telling off by a couple of players and got something again so um yeah it was again it was it was a real good experience but a bit of an eye-opener I think I think on reflection I did do as badly as I thought but that's what it felt like but um it's hard it's so hard coming off the bench and especially I, I think I'll play in front row or, or second row at the time and and try and have an impact but you can't you just can't bring yourself up to the pace of the game so we got it, it must have been crazy, like, first time flying, so first time away from home like that, and, all right, now, you, now you're playing some of the best best teams in the world, and you're at the right, you're at the top level now, getting in and getting yeah, involved. Yeah, definitely, and I, I, think, I think for me as well, coming up through junior rugby and, you know, talking about the players who played, you know, for me, Jane Banks... You know Lisa Mack at the time, Brenda Dub. You kind of, you kind of in awe of those players when you're that age, and then to be kind of in a team with them and and trying to trying to do a job really is is tough enough. But then, you know, even at that point, you you hear about players on other teams, and one prevalent player for me that all the players used to speak about was um, a woman called Trishina, and she she played for the Kiwis, and she was just unbelievable. And you kind of more, you know, like they they played. Um, they played New Zealand in the well, it mustn't have been a semi final for the marriage, but they played New Zealand and got that beat fifty four nil in the semi final. And I think I spent most of my time just watching her, just thinking like how how unbelievable she was. And yeah, it was a real experience. But the, the hotel was a bit a bit grotty. It was more of a motel, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. Watch, you watch documentaries now when they're travelling to the other side of the world and got nice swimming pools on balconies and. Uh, well, that was we went when we went in twenty thirteen. That was five star accommodation, but someone got in a lot of trouble for that for blowing a full four year budget on one tour. Wow. Again, I'm not saying any names, but um, we weren't bothered as players. But yeah, get treated as you deserve to be treated. 
Oh yeah, until someone put fairy liquid in the hotel jacuzzi. No. But I don't do that one either. So we fast forward a little bit, we've got you. You're off to university now, you're moving to Leeds. What came next in rugby for you? Um, yeah, so I went to went to university in Leeds, obviously, and then at the time I was still playing for Hillside. I'd done three or four seasons there. Um, and do you know what? Like, really quickly, I'll just like to say a little bit about them. And I, I think looking back on rugby, I genuinely really enjoyed playing rugby at Hillside. Like, we were kind of always third or fourth in the league. Never really could compete with Wakefield and Bradford at the time, but... You know, I, I, again, I met some friends for life there, and um, you know, Beth Sutcliffe. We both played at Hillside together. Um, Vicky Molyneux, who's at Wigan now, oh, she's played with as well. At, played with Vicky at, Hill, at Hillside for a few seasons. Jenny Wells, Beth, she was there. Um, so yeah, some some great players, and I I really enjoyed my time there. But yeah, I went. So I, when I moved to Leeds, I moved to. Um, Wakefield then so before it was the Super League before we became affiliated with Featherstone Rovers we were Wakefield Townville so we played out of Townville Club at, at Castleford so I moved there in 2008 and then that was also the year of the second World Cup in Australia that I went to How was that? Um, well just as I alluded to before a very very different experience Um England had just been so in two thousand and seven. Yeah, because it swapped, um, it swapped over from Great Britain to England, didn't it? Like all Sports England funding changed and yeah, two thousand and seven. So um, yeah, we went. I can't remember where we went now. Somewhere in the south of France, and played a game against France. Um, again, I think you had to contribute a little bit to the trip, but you know, you got your kit this time, your training kit. Um, yeah, that was the first game. We went there and that that was a real good tour actually. That was the first well, I say it all, we were there a few days and that was the first um time of Brenner's coach and yeah, we all went out afterwards and had a few beers because that was just a dumb thing then. So when a team hosted, they literally just had beer and food on afterwards and a few of us ended up having quite a quite a bit too much to drink and one not being able to get back into the hotel at night, but um three or four of us got kind of locked out and ended up getting into one of the girls' rooms just to go to sleep, just to get our heads down and it was my job to set the alarm so we could get up in the morning and get to breakfast because we had a recovery session and I set it for tea time rather than, I think it was supposed to be like 7 o'clock in the morning, I set it for 7 o'clock at night and I just remember waking up with my clothes on from the night before with Brenda Dobeck and um, Lindsay Anfield stood at the bottom of the bed saying you've got about 37 seconds if you want some breakfast so we went and had a slice of ham and then <laughs> went for some pool recovery which was probably the one of the most horrendous days of my life but, um, the girls will tell you another story about that day but I won't um, yeah I can't, I can't imagine much much worse things to do than getting to the swimming pool after you've had a good night <laughs> well I didn't have the odds anyway yeah I didn't have the right attire for it as well so that's that's another one, but yeah, so that was 2007 and then um, the following year was 2008 World Cup in Australia and we stayed um, at Kiwana Water, so, but it was like a five-star It was like a five star apartment complex. Like I said, the budget was blown on this on this tour. We were out there three and a half weeks. Unbelievable. Also, like a, a, a nice long tour as well. Yeah, nice and hot. Gold yeah. Coast, like we stayed quite close to Malula Bar and um, again, I shared... That we were kind of in fours, and I, I shared an apartment with with Gilly, and she spent most of the time whinging that I washed all my darks and whites together, and she'd be sorting them out for me. But um, yeah, we said, and again, do you know what? And I, it, it sticks out for me. There's a few things that stick out for me about 2008 and how close we were. You know, we played. You know, back then we played Russia and France and. It was a cricket score. It always was, and you know, France, France were a few years behind us, where we were always a few years behind Aussies and Kiwis. But um, we gave them a good go. We lost twenty-two-four to Australia, which again I think was disappointing. But that probably the most disappointing was the semi-final we had against the Kiwis, and we went in at half-time. Like the score was like eight-four or something. It was really close, and we ended up losing that sixteen-eight. 
Um, but yeah, you know, again in those those times as well. Luckily for the girls, now it's changed. You get that respite between games. But I remember playing Australia on the Wednesday, hitting hitting my shoulder and damaging my AC joint. And at the time, you don't really feel. But I remember sitting in my apartment at night and um, like just crying because I, I couldn't lift my arm. I couldn't lift my arm up above like my shoulder. I couldn't move my shoulder. And um, the doctor came and so I'm giving some painkillers and that. And the next day, they just put a. Um, Cortisone injection in, steroid injection in my shoulder, yes. and I'm good to go. But we played, so we played Australia on the Wednesday. I couldn't move my shoulder, and then we we had to play the Kiwis on the Friday. So you literally get one day to have a run about, try and recover, have a little bit of a run through, and then go again. Um, so you're literally having a game every other day in the in the space of like a week. So like I say, I'm I'm glad for the girls that they get. They get a bit more of a rest in between now, but yeah. So that yeah, that was it. That was, that was brilliant. That tour, two thousand eight. Yeah, and then yeah, back to club rugby. So two thousand eight's been and gone. What was next for you? Um. Well, so it was pretty much um club rugby, really. So. I can't remember what year we went across to Featherstone, but it was soon after that. Um, and to be fair, at the time, I think Wakefield, well, we'll call it Featherstone now, but we had, um, I think, 10 England players, 10, 11 England players in our squad. I think we were unbeaten for as long as as long as long I could remember before things went a bit wrong. It was always us and Bradford. We had the majority of the split. Warrington had a good team that off, but again, they were, they were quite like we were when I played at Hillside, always kind of third, always got tipped in those tips in those finals and stuff but yeah we pretty much beat everybody I mean there was one season um, I think it was around that 2000 I, I can't remember which season it was but we had a real bad look with injuries and players and we went through the season with 10 players for wow. all majority of the games we had 10 players and we still we still beat everybody we still won everything with 10 players Um, obviously that would never happen now just because the, the game's moved on and every every team now has great players across the board and athletes. But Yeah, so it was club rugby and then um, we had a tour to New Zealand in 2010, which was, it wasn't a great one. Um, yeah, and then after, after that tour, I got dropped. So, um, yeah, it, it was a strange one, 2020. So it's kind of a tipping point for me because I was still playing for England. I was still playing club rugby, but I just piled the weight on and... Looking back in reflection, I probably wasn't enjoying my rugby at the time. I, I, I like going in the gym and doing my weights and competing that way, but I just I just didn't want to do my fitness. I didn't buy into the S and C, and I just didn't buy into it. And I just I wasn't I wasn't enjoying my rugby. And we went over to Auckland for three weeks again, and we played a Maori team to, as a warm up game and. Not that, that it has any bearing, really, but they literally just went into roughers up and first couple of tackles, you got your head took off, your lip split, and it, it was a tough... We got hammered, to be fair. I think we got a 48-0 and a 50-0, two tests against Kiwis, and regroup, came back. A few of us got dropped. Um, yeah, and then that year, Bren left as well. So, 2011, they... They then got the EIS supporting, so you know, I'd, not not arrogantly or whatever, but we just, I kind of, everybody got the letters inviting them back to the squad, and I messaged our the team manager was like, oh, I ain't got my letter, and they would, I can't remember who it was at the time to be fair, um, and they just said, oh, you've not been selected into the squad, and I was just like, kind of like, oh, well, obviously I was disappointed, um, but yeah, so I didn't get, and but then they got the EIS support now. Again, like I don't without sounding cheesy, it, it was kind of a turning point for me because I'd always played, I'd always been selected. It was just kind of not, not a thing, not to play, and it was kind of a, it was a wake up call for me. And I could have gone, Do you know what? So this, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pack in whatever. Yeah, it, it was one of the things where you're gonna go out one or two ways at that moment. And it yeah, probably took you and, to go um, bang. In my initial thing, because after 2011, it was Anthony Sullivan. He got the, he got the role as a coach and 
he spoke to me because he said some of the players had spoke to him about me and um, that I should be in there and that. And I, I just decided to tip up with the lasses at EIS anyway. So I asked them, I said I was in the squad. Can I just can I come along with the training? I, I, you know, this is what I want to do. And you know, 2011, I dropped a couple of stone and got back in the squad the year after. Mr. Tour to France. Um, just put it in from them really and, and got back in 2012 and then obviously the World Cup 2013 was the next year and again I was yeah probably probably one of the fittest I've been for that for that World Cup so yeah it was I still look back on it now and I know it's 11 years ago now but I still remember that time and how how crap it felt to be left out but the thing is as well though my mates all played so you know, my best mates were playing, and you feel like you're missing out. That that's what that's what was good about it. You know, my best mates played at Bradford. They played at Sato. We were all spread out, but we knew we'd see each other once or twice a month because we'd be training, and it you do just feel left out of it. So, you know, I can honestly say I worked really hard and and got back into the squad and got fit. But yeah, that that was tough. But then, um, yeah, then it went on to the 2013 World Cup that was over here. How was that? What was the difference in in it being over here for you guys? Um, I think the biggest thing was that your family and friends could come in. We, you know, we went the long trip up the M1 to Leeds to stay at <laughs> stay at a hotel there for three weeks. But um, that was the Festival of World Cups at the time, so there was a wheelchair and the police at the time. And I genuinely think, hand on heart, that 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 was the year we should have probably won it. Um that squad we had then and not I'm not taking away anything from the squads that after that and it wasn't the most talented individual squad that that's had or is but we just we've been together a few years we've been together five or six years same players in the same positions everybody knew the role everybody knew the job and you know you you work for your mate next year and you know you didn't you didn't have to be accountable to the coaches because you're accountable to your mate next year and you all got your training programs. You all got standards. You all got targets to hit, and you know you, your teammates held you accountable to that. Because if you weren't doing it, and they knew you weren't doing it, you get found out in training, and you get spotted, and you get, you know, you, you get told really. But yeah, that that was again some of the best games as well. Um, some of the worst actually. Well, we played we played Australia at Dewsbury again. Another memory of Dewsbury, and you know, I'll tell anybody this. There's two. There's two times in my life I've genuinely thought the referee has lost us the game, two like twice, and that is number one. You know, the penalty count was sixteen to four against us. Wow. Um, I think six of them were mine, <laughs> but that's just that's just pretty standard. Um, it it was just awful. I think when you want a fair game and. It, it was put to the RFL afterwards, and I'm not I'm not being negative, you know, like being negative directly. But he was a community level referee, um, and the RFL's response was that he needed, you know, he needed experience to get better at refereeing, and you know, we're all stood there four years of training and working hard well, to that, have a community that, level referee. That, that's not when you give people experience in refereeing. That's where you get experienced referees in. Honestly, it's, it, it sticks with me. And do you know what's funny? We went in Leeds the next day on a recovery morning and we saw him in a coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all just like, oh, that's that referee. And he, like, he medically takes it, to be fair to him. But I think it was more disappointing than anything. So we, we lost that game, like 14-6. And it, it still, it's still quite sore. So you lost 14-6 with a 16-4 penalty count? Yeah. That's... That's crazy. Yeah, and I think uh, we had it looked at as well, and it should have been more more equal. But do you know what? Like without without sounding bitter about it, I think it's just disappointing. And the second time the referee definitely lost us a game was when I was player coach for Sheffield Ladies Rugby Club, and we went up to um, oh Novos to play a game. They were in the league above, and we were beating them. And um, we had a couple of things disallowed that should not have been disallowed. Anyway, I'll not go into the rules of rugby union, but. They scored the winning try in the ninety fourth minute. Ninety fourth minute. Ninety fourth minute. So it, obviously I was, fu- is, is I was it, fuming about that one, but um, the referees watch stop. Yeah. So those, 
Huh? The referee's watch stopped. Oh, I don't, well, I don't know, but I, um, yeah, I wasn't best pleased about that one. But those are the two. Those are two that stick out for me. So, two that, yeah, 2008, that Australian ref. Um, but then we went on to play the game at Featherstone, which I said there were quite a lot of people watching, family, friends, and um, that were an unbelievable game. Unbelievable. I think it was probably one of our best performances in England team. It was 16 all with 10 minutes to go, and they they just they just crept it. Um, you know that day, Amy Arcastle scored an awesome hat trick. Like we just we just kind of clicked that day, and it just wasn't meant to be. You know, Hunter Harimi were in the centres and just scored a couple of world class out of nothing tries. Bless Kirsty Moroni, she spent like 69 minutes of a game getting handed off, elbowed, battered, a lip had gone, her eye had gone, but. She hung on to her like no acting before. Like she played well above her weight, but um, yeah, she just nicked a couple last ten minutes, and that was, I think that was the semi final. The class was the semi final then, but that was probably more less sorry less disappointing than the Australia one, just because we knew we couldn't have really done any more. Yeah, you know, you're giving everything. That it was if you got a player getting a hat trick in a match and you still can't win. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was 2013 and it, it's funny because my parents couldn't get to watch that game because my mum were working but um, I hurt my arm in that game um, when I had to have it x-rayed and I were adamant it was fine and I wanted to play the last game against France but I didn't oh, it was the third game against France and that was the only game that my mum and dad could come and watch <laughs> but um but it was, do you know what? It, it worked. It turned out all right though, because I ended up going sitting in the stand and watching the game with them. And my dad died the year after, so it's kind of like everything happens for a reason, really. Because I wouldn't have been if I'd have been playing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to see him much. Yeah, and you wouldn't have been able to sit, that that, game, sit and enjoy a match with them. Yeah, so I kind of sat and watched England like with them. But um, yeah, it was an interesting one, twenty thirteen. And I think it's, I think it's the one I look back on and just think, oh, that that what could have been. Um, again, like the the players, just I think just the grit and the the determination we had as a group. You know, Rachel Rachel Twible, she's playing at Halifax now, and she was our starting second row, and she played two games with a torn a two inch tear, like horizontally in a quad, uh, vertically in a quad, and the physio just patching everybody up, and do you know what I mean? It's just I I just think like they just the grit we had as a squad and just the mental strength we had as that squad and you just tip up for your mate like minute after minute it's just yeah I think it, it does just stick in my mind as as what could have been with that one but you learn from him 2013's done what happened next with you? Um, yeah so I think after the World Cup we had a year a year to reflect um, I think if I'm right there wasn't any games in 2014 um, and then we went over to France played 2015 and we drew against France which was yeah probably one of my low lights um, yeah it, it wasn't great that's all but um, yeah and then it was just building up to the 2017 World Cup after that but so from 2015 I was um, England captain which was obviously probably the you know, there's no greater accolade than that, and it's it's something that I'll be proud of like forever. Um, so 2015, 27, we were just building up to the 2017 World Cup. Really, that was Australia. Um, Chris decided to stay on another another term with us because we felt like we had unfinished business from 2013. So uh, we were building for that, and then there was obviously the Women's Super League. So there was like a soft launch and a, a trial year in 2017. For that, and then the women's super league went on from there. So, how have you found women's super league? Um, you know, for the women's game, it's massive, and I think the profile now it's getting is massive, and you know the it, it's great for the women's game. I think the first year, twenty seventeen, we struggled at Featherstone. You know, we had we had the run of of kind of winning everything, having the players, and then you know, twenty thirteen. A lot of players retired, had kids, stopped playing. We lost a few to that, and then, you know, over the years, we just we, I think the 
that season launch 2017, we lost we lost a lot of players. Um, you know, I think five or six players left our club. You know, majority went to Castleford, a couple went to Leeds, and because obviously they were launching their Super League teams, which you know, as a, as a as a player and someone who'd been at Featherstone for a long time, I think it was quite gutting for us. And I think the talent that had gone as well was was probably even more gutting for us when some of them had been there since they were sixteen and. Um, it left us in pretty much in a big hole, really. And we, I remember um, standing there with the six or seven players we had left. You know, there was me, Nat Arrowell, Jess Ammon, Kayleigh Bullman, Brogan Chair, you know, one or two others. And it was either kind of, you know, what do we do here, lasses? We, it, it was tough. We didn't have as much support from the club as we do now. Um, you know, Bren had left by that point, and yeah, it was it was a re- it was a real tough time. And I'm very, you know, probably loyal to a fault that I wasn't going anywhere. And if if we saw the players that wanted to play, and um, then we'd rebuild. So we, our aim was just to rebuild. We had, you know, went through that 2017 season. We got to the two finals, and to be honest, we were beg stealing and borrowing players, and seeing if anybody wanted to play from the Lions, and we just. We got to two finals, got beat by Bradford, but um, it probably didn't stand me in the best of stead for the World Cup, to be honest, because I, I had to play in the halves when I was playing in the front row, or 13 for England. But um, I say, you, you can pass pretty well. You can play in the halves. You're smart enough. Only, well, you, you say that, but a lot of people debate it. Um, left to right, I'm all right, but it's a bit, it's a bit wild. Right to left, only over a short distance. Don't tell anybody. Um, yeah, do you know what? I think it's more of an understanding. I think it's because I understand the role. Um, just playing off half-backs, I, I think I just understand what's going on and what the job is. So I don't do it massively well. I'm not I'm not your fastest. I don't have a step. I'm not I'm not elusive. I haven't really got a good kicking game, but I can, I can understand when to pass and what we're trying to do. So I kind of do it. I can do a job, that's about it, I think. Um, but yeah, so we really struggled that first year or two and, and we kind of sat down as a club and Johnny came and we we got buy-in from the club and support and we sat down and said we want to rebuild. So we've, we've now back up to a squad of, you know, 25, 28 players. We've kept, you know, we've got three or four 16-year-olds from Featherstone Lions who are turning into great players and it's just having that the end of last season you look like a different team yeah we're, we're getting there and do you know what I think it's it's putting it's putting the pieces together you know we've we've never had an S&C coach really well one there wasn't really the funding and now there's more funding from the RFL for the Women's Super League we've got we've got the S&C you know in Annalise you know who's, who's fantastic and not just you know I'm not I'm not just blowing a trumpet, but she genuinely is. She genuinely cares, and all the way through this lockdown as well, she's given out personal programs, you know, and checking in individually on players, and, and it's been a real support, and, and she's a real credit to our club now, and we're real glad to have her on board, and, you know, um, we're going through a bit of transition as well, you know, Johnny's left, and Nat Gilmore's come on board to help coach, and myself and Les are going to be assistant coaches, and... Um, you know, we've got the S&C, we've got some nutrition stuff going on, we've got the support from the club, you know, we've, we've got a good link with Featherstone Lions now to get some of the younger players coming through and that's all we've needed is just a feeder team and some infrastructure there so we can, you know, we can offer we can offer what other teams are having, you know, you know, players, players left us because we couldn't offer what they wanted to develop. Um, so, we've got that now and, yeah, and towards the end of last season we started to get it and I think a lot of it's confidence as well. Some of these younger players just need that confidence and, and telling that they're good enough and, you know, a, a little bit of confidence can go a long way. Like I remember I remember the first episode I did was with four Featherstone players and I went, no, you're going to win You're going to win all the way through to the end now. Like, what really? I was like, well, yeah, them t- you're better than them teams. They're like, what really? I was like, yeah, you are. Yeah, it's, it is a funny one and I think for us, especially this season, going into the season and being realistic... I think, you know, for majority of the games, we can compete for 50, 60 minutes. 
and then we just get blown out the water for the last quarter of the game, or or it just goes to pot in the first ten minutes, then it then then, then we're gone anyway. Ch- but, ch- chase the whole game back and yeah, get, I, get within touching distance. It's just do. Yeah, I could. You could read what I was going to say every single game. Just start the first ten minutes. All right, we'll be all right because I think as soon as. If your first 10 minutes isn't a good one, heads go down, confidence go down, that's it. But I just used to say, ride the first 10 minutes out, we'll be all right. And, you know, if we did that, we'd be in there and compete. And then we just we just lost it towards the end. But we've worked really hard in lockdown on our fitness. And we've worked really hard to keep all the players together and keep, yeah. a, keep a big squad, which we have done. Um, so, yeah, it's again, it's, it is being realistic where we are at. But we, we want to compete. We, we want to do one better than than last season yeah that, you ended well there were games in there with the biggest teams and you fought with them yeah 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 again it's it's a tough one because you kind of go in with an expectation and no disrespect to any other teams but we're expected to beat Wakefield and we're expected to beat York um, you know and then you've got like a middle a middle cluster of clubs us Bradford um, you know, we beat Bradford at theirs. They beat, uh, sorry, Bradford beat us at theirs. We beat Bradford at ours. And you know, first game of the season, we got pasted fifty-four nil. I think it was by Wigan, and then we beat them eighteen sixteen at our place. That was a great um, game. That. Yeah, it was good. I was just really pleased for the players and the team. Do you know? Because I think it's you could you could you could feel it as well. You can't you can't see what goes on behind the scenes. And there's a group of there's a group of staff and a group of. You know, on our committee and coaching staff who who work tirelessly, and I think it's not it's not seen. And yeah, do you know what you get beat, but the same people tip up to every training session and behind the scenes and work really hard to get us all everything we need. And it's I think it's just nice when you get those wins for them, not not just for yourself. But um, yeah, that was that was that was a good day. I I remember like how just a buzz afterwards. You'd knocked off the champions. Yeah, the Wigan are a good, we're a good team as well, and um, yeah, I just I, I just remember thinking, oh, this is the longest ten minutes of my life. Like, just it was just never ending. Yeah, but I think Epi scored a brilliant try that day. Yep. Um, if I remember rightly, yeah, she 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 normally pulls them out the bag out of nowhere, but yeah. So, as well as playing, you also coach. Tell us a bit about that. Um, yeah, so, current, well, currently I'm, I'm still playing at Featherstone. My aim's still to do another season and I know it's 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 obviously well publicised and that, but we lost Nat and, you know, a few of us older players, we said we'd do a season. We'd do a season for Nat and obviously that hasn't come around, so we're going to have to carry on for another one. Um, but obviously we... Johnny's left, and then Nat's come on board doing some coaching, and Les from the Lion is assistant coach. So I've I've said I do some player coaching and and help with the coaching stuff there, which I, it's always been in my plans to do. Um, but I just definitely don't want to stop playing and then jump into coaching. So yeah, but um, I also coach an inclusive men's team, rugby union team, Sheffield Vulcans, which um I've done so for the last three years, and I absolutely love doing that. They're they're honestly a brilliant bunch of guys and, and really enjoyable to coach. I'm gonna say what 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 a fun environment and fun people to to be around because it's like it's completely different to normal sessions and the same at the same time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In terms of the rugby and in terms of you know, the, there's some real real talented players and we're getting there now. We you know, we started three years ago and with the majority of them who hadn't played rugby but They've become attractive to players, you know, coming back to the game and new to the game or just wanting to play a more social level of rugby. And, they, you know, like I said, there's some quality players and we can't get back to them playing some games and, and being able to, to get some competitive games in. But, yeah, so the training session rugby-wise doesn't look any different. But, um, you know, the thing that stands out with them is, you know, without being a cliche, how inclusive they are. Yeah. So, you know, sexuality, um, you know, orientation, background, sporting history, the, you know, experience, it just it's, it just does not matter. There's a spot for you. And, um, 
you know, genuinely someone comes training for the first time, you, they don't they don't leave. But I just struggle with names. So, <laughs> you know, there's always new people come in and I'm just expected to remember names. And then they shave the beards and then they grow beards. And I'm just like... Yeah, these teams end up with like 40, 50 plus members in them. Yeah, that's what they're at. Yeah, so they started off with, you know... 12 people at the first training session and now we're, they're up to 50 members and they're going strong, yeah. So, as as we record, we've just gone into national lockdown. Nice. <laughs> During the episode, which is is lovely. So, we're, we're ever hoping for a 2021 season. Which, yep. Which is just brilliant to be put back again. I can't go on for much longer. No. This one, best one, ahead. I'm... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm planning my retirement. Planning it? Well, I've been planning it for like five years, but yeah. I, do you know what? It's a tough one because um, I genuinely thought this season that we haven't played would be my last one. Um, and not because I'm injured, but I, I just it does take a little bit longer to recover. Um, and it is the time, but again, we lost Natalie and it's quite prevalent to me. One of the last conversations I had with her, and it was a couple of weeks before she died, she told me she was pregnant and that she wasn't going to be obviously playing, but she wanted she wanted a shot in the World Cup squad, which is obviously this year, and what would be her chances. And, you know, I said it should be hard push, to be honest. I said, one, because your priorities change when you have a baby, but if that's what you want, um, you know, then stay fit and, and have those conversations have those conversations with Craig and just, just put it out there and I think there wasn't I haven't met a player you know as as kind of motivated to play for England and, and would, would give literally anything anything to to get back playing and, and play because she had that bad knee injury and I think it just made me think a little bit like you, you know you're a you know, you're a long time not playing, and you're a long time injured. Or, you know, you can look back and think, "Oh, could I have done? Could I have done that?" And I just think, while I'm still fit, while I can still offer something to him, and with this, with the lockdown, that's that's all you've been able to do is is train and get out running and, well, and I, stay fit. And... I remember panicking when you went to coach at Scotland. I thought you'd, re- I thought you'd retire. And no one, I asked people like, "Is you retired?" I don't know. Has she? And I was like. Well, she's been announced as a coach somewhere. I don't know what's... Yeah, no, that's that's just a voluntary role. And um, that's all been put on hold as well. So Scotland are going to be in the Emerging Nations Development yeah. Festival, which is now going to be next year. Um, so, yeah, that was just a little bit... Again, I, I do want to get into coaching. I enjoy coaching. and um, Yeah, so I'm currently, currently with the Vulcans and, and doing bits of stuff at Bev, so... That's Keeping myself busy. Very busy coaching, playing, all round, full time rugby player near enough. So I like, I like to be busy. <laughs> as I've on this, Andrea was the most voted person in the Women's Rugby League Podcast Hall of Fame. Her and Natalie are off in there. There's others who will probably be announced by the time this goes out. But from us, thank you for all you've done for the game. Thank you. I, I don't feel like I've done I've done much, to be honest. I've just played the game for a long time that I've loved. and You've been too uh, busy enjoying it. Yeah. I, you know, it's it, again, it's a cliche, but it, it does become your life. And when you start at a young age, and, and again, Emily alluded to it yesterday in her podcast that, you know, you meet your lifelong friends. She, you know, she's played with her best mates. I've played with my best mates for the for the best part of twenty years, and it's you know, your friends will be a long time after the rugby's gone. But um, it does; it just becomes it just becomes a big part of your life. And I, I'm lucky, and I'm, I'm so lucky that I've I've had the opportunities that I have had, um, and probably will continue to have in in a way. But yeah, I think it's just I appreciate it a lot more now. I, you know, it's you do when you sit back and reflect and look back. You do think like I, I, I think this like this last season where there's been no games. I think a lot of people have realised, wow, I didn't know how much this meant to me, so I'm not doing it. 
That's it for this episode. Thank you and hopefully speak to you soon. Yes, thank you.